127 tonight. Psalm 127. If you don't have a Bible, we can get you one. Just raise your hand. Psalm 127. Some of you are saying, why aren't we going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Psalms? Uh, my feeling with the Psalms, um, we'll, do, we'll do that with the Proverbs, but my feeling with the Psalms is these are things you should be reading every day. And um, Proverbs you should be reading every day. You know, 31 days to wisdom and praise. Uh, Psalms and Proverbs, a little bit of both get you through it. And um, I've already done an in-depth study through Psalm 119. I've done a number of these. We already have them on record, so I'm going to pick a few I haven't done. Psalm 127 is one of them. And so let me pray, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for your word, and I thank you tonight for the great joy of opening your word and feeding upon the riches of your word. As we take a look at this psalm about children, about families, Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement to folks who are present tonight. That would just be the exact word that they need for the trials that they're enduring. I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen their heart to want to continue in this wonderful endeavor that's been appointed by you. And so, Lord, please, I ask your strength, your encouragement, your insight, your wisdom, your love. Fall upon this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, Psalm uh, Psalm 127, the title that the the writers put, Laboring and Prospering with the Lord, a song of ascents. It's a song of Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. He didn't write many songs, but this is one that he did write. And he was a man who understood children because he had quite a few of them. Um, and a song of ascents would be a song that you would sing on your way to one of the great feasts uh, that the Israelites would have on their way to Jerusalem. They would sing these specific psalms as they would ascend up into Jerusalem. And what we're going to see for those who are going on this trip to Israel, you're going to see that every area in Israel uh, is low and it rises up to Jerusalem. And so it's the song of ascents as they're going into Jerusalem. And so this is a picture that we're going to see. And so Solomon's writing it and he's, he's speaking primarily in the last verses. He's going to speak primarily on children and rearing. But I want to begin with the first verses because we can't we can't undertake the study of the second verses without understanding um, what, what is said in the first two verses. But let's read it in its entirety. Psalm 127 reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. And then it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. You look at the first two verses and you see this word vain used three times. This idea of doing anything apart from God is vanity. It's it's fruitless. It's, It's a vapor. You can't accomplish anything in life unless the Lord is in the center of it. And especially raising a family. Uh, there's, there's absolutely no way to accomplish anything in life unless you allow the Lord to do that. And so the psalmist points out that, um, that, that if, if they're going to raise a family or you're going to build a house or you want to guard a city, whatever you want to do, even if you think, well, if I wake up earlier, if I spend more time, if I discipline my life, if I read um, Tony Robbins' books, uh, if, if, I, if I learn languages, um, if, if I eat specific foods, um, if I dial my diet into a certain area where it's all organic, if I, if I, if I is worthless, unless 
Unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. So I would just say to all of you tonight, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, unless the Lord, it's a waste of time. Unless the Lord is a waste of time. What are your pursuits in life? What is your desire in life? What do you want to accomplish in life? Unless the Lord. Unless the Lord, it's all vanity. Unless the Lord, it's fruitless. It's vain. And, and you, can, you can even, uh, th- this is one thing that um, someone said to me. Uh, it, was, it was one of the folks uh, driving in, and I think they were Ugandan either, no, they were Kenyan, excuse me. He said, I, I, I ask you, Pastor, could you please describe to me the American dream? And then the other thing he asked is, he said, how is it that the strongest nation on the earth um, could, not, could not detect the men that did 9-11 and, and, and blew up your buildings? Where was the security? And I looked at him and I said, first of all, the American dream and 9-11 both go together. And he looked at me quizzically and I said, you see, what happened on 9-11, September 11, 2001, uh, 19 men with box cutters brought the United States of America to its knees, blew up the World Trade Centers, uh, attacked the Pentagon, and was on its way to attacking the White House when the plane went down in a field in Pennsylvania. 19 men, box cutters. Uh, none of them had bombs, none of them had anything, just box cutters. Uh, and, and his question was, how, where was the security? And my point to him was, unless right, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin has reproached any people. If there isn't righteousness, God's hand is lifted. It doesn't matter if, listen, I don't know if it's true now, but it's, it's been this way for a period of time. All of the nations combined, all of their military forces combined, don't, don't equal the military force of the United States of America. All nations in the world combined don't equal the military force of the United States of America. We are supreme when it comes to military intelligence. We are supreme when it comes to uh, weaponry. We are supreme when it comes to anything pertaining to military. We are, we are a dominant force, one to be reckoned with. We have an advantage on any battlefield. Uh, I mean, how long was the first Gulf War? Uh, it was just a matter of just moments, uh, and it was over. What, 21 days? I don't even remember what it was. It was shock and awe. Uh, and and they, they said they've got the fourth largest army in the world, and they crossed that out sixth, crossed that out eighth, crossed that out eleventh. Iran has, and they kept going all the way down in Iraq because they just bombed them into oblivion. And And I told them, I said, the reason why, and, and I was sitting right next to a fellow from, from Long Island, uh, uh, and he was a pastor, great guy, and uh, Kevin he- uh, Hennessy, and I said the story about how the World Trade Centers were um, built on the back lot of, of St. Paul's Cathedral, where uh, George Washington walked a few blocks from the Federal House to the St. Paul's Cathedral and there dedicated the nation to God and prayed with the Vice President, the Supreme Court, uh, Senate, the House, and the Senate. Uh, they all knelt before God. They consecrated the nation to God. And I said it was the only building within um, you know, ground zero that survived. And it was protected by a cypress tree. And it was interesting that Dashiell was the one who quoted the verse that uh, it, it, it's just obnoxious. And you read it and you just see God's hand of mercy, although we deserve judgment. We deserve judgment. Uh, I'm watching as, as uh, you know, we've been praying the 40, for, uh, 40 days for life and, and folks out there holding up signs and praying out in front of an abortion clinic here in our own town every Tuesday, doctor comes in, kills our babies. And I turned to Kevin Hennessy, I turned to this Kenyan pastor and I said, God will not bless a nation that kills 70 million of its own children. He's just, he's just not going to do it. 
He's not going to bless a nation that kills 70 million of its own children. Innocent children. He's just not going to do it. Period. I said, that's how 19 men can take down the nation with box cutters, because God allows it. Because sin is a reproach. And I don't care how big your army is. You're going to lose. And I said, the American dream is this. So the American dream in a representative form of government is that, and I t- shared with him, I've shared with you oftentimes the difference between freedom and liberty. And we've just been going through Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free and do not be entangled any longer to the bondage. And I talked about this idea of bondage as laws and the more laws you have and the bigger the government, the less freedom you have, less freedom you have, the more it's required to exercise liberty, the more that those who exercise liberty will find themselves in prison. They'll restrain your freedom, but you can always exercise your liberty and those who exercise their liberty are going to be the points of attack and the targets. And so there's an attack on Christians. There's an attack. I mean, we're watching now. This is, this is a no-brain situation, no-brainer situation in regards to Little Oak School. The second judge sat in, was moved by our attorney, and still ruled against us. Tomorrow we have a two-hour meeting with our attorneys to go over this. We're going to appeal it all the way up. We're going to keep going. And, and my feeling is the, the greater the pressure, the more precious the diamond. And, and God is not going to let us win this one in the small courts. We're going all the way, I have a feeling. And uh, we're going to fight this one. So um, I'm not in charge of the outcome. I'm in charge of being faithful. And this is that exercise of liberty. And I turned to this man and I said, I, I looked at him and he's from Kenya. I said, what, what kind of a society would it be if I looked at you and we smiled and we went into business together? We didn't need a lawyer. We didn't need a contract. We didn't need anything. But based on, on our acknowledgement, we would shake hands and there'd be such a trust and such a trust developed that we wouldn't have to worry about that. You wouldn't lose any sleep over it. My word is my bond. When I say something, it's true. When you say something, it's true. We don't lock our doors at night. He looked and he says, how, how is that possible in any society? I said, well, let me just tell you this, and I should, probably shouldn't say it, but I'm looking around the room, most people look, okay. We seldom lock our door. I, I forget. Side doors open, back doors open. I told this to the Kenyan pastor. He said, you, no, really? Any, any house in Uganda has to have an enormous wall with barbed wire, you know, uh, razor wire. You've got to have a guard dog. You've got to have a keeper at the gate. You've got to have a safe portion of your house where you back into. Craig showed me all the safe areas. He said, when they come in, this is a hidden bookshelf. You open this up. This goes down into a safe location. We lock it. This is where we fall back to. This is our position. This is where the, that's every house in Uganda. So the Kenyan pastor's like, what kind, how? I said, and think about that, where because there's so much trust, and I shared with them about the Welsh revivals that they didn't need police officers, so they started the barbershop quartets. They had bankruptcies because the bars shut down. Nobody was drunk anymore. That's what happens when Christ takes hold of a, of a nation. When people seek to, to establish righteousness, that's the American dream. We have the freedom because you've exercised the liberty. He was moved by that. And, and the only way to get that is the Lord must build the house. Everything you do is worthless. It doesn't matter how high your walls are or how sharp the wire is over your gate. They're going to get you. It doesn't matter if you deal in drugs and you've got a safe house and you've got a submarine and you've got you know, anti-aircraft missiles. You're going to ultimately end up dead. I think of Muammar Gaddafi who's hiding in a sewer pipe. Saddam Hussein was in a wormhole. This was a man that was on the pinnacle of success, and it doesn't matter, and they shot him with his own gold-plated gun. It doesn't matter how rich you are. 
You're not safe unless the Lord has built your house. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. This is my question to you. What is so important that you get up and, and go through your day without a devotion? What is so important you can't open your Bible? Is it profitable? Really, is it profitable? What does it do for your marriage? How does it establish your, your, your attitude in the course of the day? What, 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 are, what is so important you can't open your Bible and read it? Oh, it's boring. You're boring. Your life is it, it, it's worthless. It's a vapor. Get some substance. Get a little chutzpah. Get a backbone. Read your word. Be a man and a woman of character. Establish your life on a firm foundation. Let the Lord build your house. Don't go to work in vain. I don't care what you do. You are wasting your day unless God is with you every moment of it. You drag your sorry self to work and you don't realize you're walking into a mission field. You complain about your employment. God gave it to you. And your attitude's rotten because you haven't spent time in his presence thanking him. Give thanks in all things for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You labor in vain when you build. Doesn't matter if you guard the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Here's another one. Here's another one. Raising, raising kids. You, you want to talk about staying awake? Raise kids without the Lord. Every moment they're out of your sight. We've got to get them in the best schools. We need to get tutors. We've got to make sure that everything is aligned. You're, and they've got, to, they've got to do these things. And there's deadlines on all of them. Who are they with? Where are they going? What is that person's background? What kind of foods do they serve? Is there any preservatives in those? Just lay awake, worry about it. That's so healthy. And the kids love it. You're such a great parent. There just can't be a mixture between two clothing materials because the chafes and the children just don't. I, look, I know everybody has stuff like that, but I, and some of it's legit, but for the most part, what I'm getting at is this. Quit worrying so much. Put them in the Lord's hands. Do you ever take all those concerns and one by one just lay them at the Lord's feet? Until a peace that surpasses all understanding guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, you can wake up and go about your day? Or do you just wake up with worry? And all of your fear is, is poured on your kids so they grow up and they don't even want anything to do with the Lord. Because your expression of Christ is irritating. And it's just so smothering. God is way better at raising your kids than you'll ever be. Seek wisdom from him. Be patient. Go to the Lord. It's in vain that you rise up early. It doesn't matter how early you get up and what you do. You, you get up, if you sit up late, you eat the bread of sorrows. It doesn't even matter what you feed him. It doesn't matter. And here, here's, here's the last part. For so he gives his beloved sleep. You know why you're not sleeping? 
You're worrying. And everything in your life is vanity. And you lay awake trying to find some sort of source of contentment and it's not there. Try praying. You'll be okay. Rest. So the Lord describes through the psalmist, which is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, verses one and two, he says, Any, anything that you venture in in life, remember this, unless the Lord does it, it's a waste of your time. Okay? Do we have that? Because we can move on if we do. I can continue to belabor it more and more if you'd like. And then he says, with verse three, this is where we begin. He says, behold. Understanding verses one and two, now behold. Understanding verses one and two, now behold. Unless the Lord builds, and if he builds, behold. If he does this, check this out. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Children, they are a reward. They're a good thing. They're a heritage. I mean, you think of Moses. He was drawn from the water. He was a blessing that that this child set a nation free. Children are a heritage. Children are a blessing. But where are they from? And this is what you need to remember. Behold, you need to remember this. Where are they from? The Lord. They're His, not yours. They're His, not yours. And they're on loan. And you better ask Him what He wants you to do with His kids. And you better ask Him for His wisdom to apply to His kids. Because we're going to give an accounting of their lives before God. And if you wake up, and, and here's, I was watching this. What happens, what, what to expect when no one's expecting is a book I'm reading about the declining birth rate in America and throughout the Western world. What, what to expect when no one's expecting. And the reason why there's a decline in, in the birth rate in the Western world is because children are exhausting. And they're expensive. And if your world is all about you, you have no time for kids. All the toys that you possess and all the things that you do, that is, that is your passion. And children, I got to tell you, they, they drain you of everything. Just giant suction cups. Monsters, Inc. You just... And the reason why the Western world is declining is because in our affluence, we make it about us and we increase in our our wealth, we increase in our, our fun, and we increase in our focus. And, and, and I've, I've shared this with you too. In the Western world, pets are elevated in their significance while children are reduced in their significance. We murder our children and we elevate our pets. We do, you know, um, the, what, what, what's the hotel for dogs in Westlake? The, Bar- the Barkley? They, they greet you at the front door. And they've got the gold leashes. I don't even know what they do. I don't, I don't even, I, I can't fathom it. Only the best for my pets. My dog had hip dysplasia, little dachshund. Took him to the vet. 
He said, it's going to be $3,000. We're going to have to do it and fuse and bring in the, and redo the. I'm like, I'm sorry. I, think, I thought you said $3,000. Well, actually, it's going to be probably about $3,600. <laughs> what? $3,600? I got the dog for 100 It's, but wouldn't you do that for the pet you love? And it was like we were sitting, it was, you know how they get you in the pressure thing at the car dealership in that room? And they do the four quadrant box and the down payment. Go, I'll talk to my boss, but I don't think I can do this. You're like, oh, I hope you can. And they good cop, bad cop, and they come back and they, they were doing that at this place. I'm like, let me take my dog, please. I want to go home. You can't take your dog. You're cruel and inhumane. Oh, I, I know the cure. It's a high speed lead infusion to the cranium. I, I'll take care of it. No, what? I, where do you live? Mm, give me my dog. I walked out with my dog. I went home with my dog. I put him in his kennel. I went and got a tie. I fashioned a little harness, wrapped it around its legs, back legs. When the dog would wince like it had to go to the bathroom, I'd lift it up and it would walk on its front legs. And I'd walk it out in the yard and just wait. Okay. Brought it back in, laid it down. Kept doing that day after day, three weeks. Then its tail started to wag. And his legs started to move. Healed. Free. I was in Uganda. Dogs there are eaten. And I've told this to you before. Washington, D.C. A park strictly for dogs, no children allowed. Because of the affluence of man, animals then become... In, in a world of selfishness, animals are now elevated over children. Children are exhausting. And here's the reason why we want them designers. Down babies, Down syndrome babies, babies with any type of birth defect. Sally, is this true? Over 90% are aborted. Is it higher? 95%? 95% are aborted. Any marking, anything saying anomaly, something wrong, Done. You know what's amazing about a down baby? You go anywhere in the world. You go to Uganda. You go to Mongolia. You go to China. You go to the Philippines. You, you go to South America. You go to Central America. It's the one race of human beings that looks alike. And they have this disconnect where they, they, everything, it's like a child. It, the world is, it is such a blessing to be around a child like that. My daughter said to me once, Dad, do you think God would count me worthy enough to have a Down syndrome baby? That shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't shock any Christian. It should be a joy of our heart. I don't care if they say that there's a problem. This is how it works. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Here's one. You're going to get old. And you're not going to have a heritage if you live for yourself. I am thankful. I've told my kids, I... I don't want you to buy me anything for my birthday. Don't. All I, I just don't want to be eating pudding all by myself in a rest home. <laughs> just want to, be, you know, to take care of dad. But the idea, that's what we're doing with my dad. We're all caring for him. They're a heritage. 
I think of the, 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 the heiresses that die, the Mars lady, the heiresses that die in their New York penthouses and they leave the vast majority of their wealth to their cats. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's a blessing. When it comes time in a person's life where they want children, they want, they want a heritage, they'll pay any amount of money to try to get, to try to get a baby in that womb. I'll take, I'll take the egg and I'll take the sperm and I'll try to make the zygote and then re-implant it in the, try to get something to happen. They, they, there's a reward in this. And you, you get to that stage in life where you, you realize, you know, there's got to be a reward at the end of this. Oh, there's a light at the end of, a, of the tunnel. There, oh, it's an oncoming train. Never mind. <laughs> College fees. Boom. Yeah, it's, it's, we'll get to So... Here's the exciting part. Look at verse 4. I've only got 13 minutes. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children in one's youth. I would say that children do bring great happiness and that we recognize that we are stewards of their life. And, and that the children are on assignment to us from the Lord, and we have to be mindful of that. But here's the part that blows my mind. We argue when life begins. Why? What argument is there? I mean, we've gone over this. What else can it be? It's a baby. And it's a blessing. And your heritage is there. Every child has a future. Sometimes those futures are snuffed out. I believe we've had the cure to cancer, but we aborted it. Half of my generation is gone. We have a negative birth rate in America. We're a declining nation. With the exception of immigration, we'd be wiped out. And the fruit of the womb is reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. You think about this idea of arrows, and I've talked about it oftentimes. You know, we looked at the, the armor in Ephesians, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth the feet shod with the gospel of peace, right? And then those are all defensive weapons and they're only on the front because we always move forward. They don't have any protection in the back. You always move forward. And you have one offensive weapon. It's the sword of scripture, which is the word of God. Sharpening two-edged sword, able to divide the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the offensive weapon. We go. That's what Christians have. Our, our offensive weapon is the sword of scripture. We have another offensive weapon. One very powerful, and that is children. Arrows that we shoot into a future that we'll never see to affect that future for Christ. And I think about how it is nowadays. Is, is Audra in here? Audra, are you in here? I thought I saw her earlier. The other, that's Rollins House. It's, uh, with all their kids. Is Ken here? He was here. He's with the kids. 
Uh, let's wave at them because they're probably in the children's. Imagine when they walk into a store with all the kids in tow. The comments that they get. Oh, somebody doesn't have a TV in their bedroom. Maybe they should. Do you realize the carbon print that you're doing on the earth? It's Shut it. There were reward and a blessing. I'm sorry. Carbon imprint. I got your imprint. Shouldn't say that. I'm a pastor. If I'm married and I have kids, all of a sudden I'm offensive because marriage isn't inclusive. It's an estate God created. And we be fruitful and multiply. It's a calling from the Lord. And as Christians, we should just we should start getting busy. Kids. I just want the whole church filled with arrows. So you can't even put another one in the quiver. You're like, I don't know where this one goes. Just rabbits. Come on now. Where's Micah? Is he listening? What's interesting about an arrow is that it's got, it's predisposed to fly. It's created to fly. And so are your kids. You just keep them tied down in fear. You parent in fear. You parent in anger. You crush the, the heart of your kids. The Bible says that, that, that raise a child in the way that they should go. It, the, the word in the Hebrew is this idea of, of fashioning them according to their bend, the uniqueness of their character. I remember when Molly was born, I'm like, this is a great kid. Slept 10 hours a night. Then Kelly was born. Different. Both ends of the spectrum. I'm thinking, how does that happen? And then Daniel. Okay, Michael. Oh, my word. And then Michelle's largest baby and longest delivery, Natasha, comes along at 12. I'm like... Okay, now the whole spectrum is, it's just, it's crazy. All the kids are different. All of them. Unique bends on each of them. And everyone requires something different. You, you just look at Daniel wrong. He's like, oh, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'll never do that again. You look at Michael, and he's like, I'm going to make you smile, Dad. I'm going to get out of this with a joke somehow. <laughs> Natasha just hides. Molly, when she was little, she'd go, you'd spank her and she'd look at you like, is that all you got? <laughs> Kelly, you know, she, she, was, she was compliant, but there was, there was times where, you know, she, she, would, she would finagle it so Molly would get in trouble and we used to think she was so, but then we found out, we're like, oh, you little weasel. <laughs> smart that way, smart, just unique. But arrows are meant to fly. They're predisposed, they're meant to fly. Every child has a calling. It's our job to ask God for wisdom of what he intends that calling to be. 
And arrows, if they're going to fly, they need to be straight. And, and that's, that's not, not, not a sexual commentation. I, I'm saying that they need to be straight with moral character. Fashioned according to the word of God. Listen, godly kids don't just happen by osmosis. You need to labor before the throne of grace in prayer. Unless the Lord builds a house, your arrows are going to be going everywhere but straight. If your life isn't, isn't just absolutely embedded in the things of the Lord, listen, the, the, the archer who's shooting the arrow needs to know how to shoot an arrow straight. You need to know exactly, you, you have to have training to get to the target. You need to be in the word. And the amazing thing about this is that there's going to be winds of immorality that are going to try to knock your, your, your children off target. And you need to know how to compensate for those. Target's over there, wind's blowing this way, I shoot down to land. You got to know how to compensate for the immorality in this world. You're going to shoot the arrow. You don't hold on to it. They're to be shot. You live a disciplined life, the life of an archer. You practice. Even in failure, it doesn't disqualify you from parenting. And the other thing is, too, the further the target, the higher you need to shoot the arrow. The higher the calling, the higher you must aim. Right? And then I think it's the other things too. About arrows. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with their enemies at the gate. The, the kids will bless you in time, but you've got to fashion them straight. They're going to talk about you. They're, they're going to hate you when you're raising them. They're going to they're fight against you. They're going to kick at you. And listen, you're not to be their best friend. There's a lot of heat and a lot of pressure, and you've got to bend and mold and shape. You don't break them, but you've got to really hold them tight. And there are going to be times they're going to be upset with you, and they're going to tell you that they hate you. And I remember the kids sitting on their pouting chair, I hate you. I don't ever want to be here again. I don't want to do whatever you do. They calm down. And they get a little straighter, a little stronger, a little firmer. And, and the, the amazing thing about shooting an arrow is it requires tension, doesn't it? It requires tension. And the tension is greatest just before you release the arrow. Did you have a boyfriend? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we're serious. No, you aren't. No, 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 no. no you aren't. You don't even look like what I'm looking for. You can just go on, just move along. Hey, nothing for you here. Daddy, I love him. <laughs> I don't care. And the tension, I'm not talking to you anymore. What kind of a father are you? I'm an archer, not a father. 
We're making arrows here. <laughs> but just at the moment when you're ready to release, there's always going to be someone trying to mess up your aim. And if you're the archer, you've got to be wise. You've got to adjust for the winds of immorality. You've got to aim high. There's going to be tension. It's a lot of work, a lot of practice. But don't give up. And the thing that fashions every aspect of the lives of these children is this. Unless the Lord... You will stink at archery unless you let the Lord teach you. Open your word. Read it. I can't be more firm than that. I'm making arrows. And you're making arrows. We got a whole bunch of classrooms over there with little arrows. There's a whole generation that we're not going to see And you need to be fashioning those arrows and you need to be practicing your archery. You need to be in the word of God. Applying it, living it, praying, seeking, resting and waiting. Fashioning. He'll give you tenderness. He'll give you wisdom. He'll do it all. Unless the Lord. The rest of it is a waste of time. Vanity, vanity, vanity. Psalm 127. Solomon wrote it. That guy gets it. He asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, all you need to do is ask of the Lord, and the Lord will give freely to him who asks. So, children are on loan. Fashion them straight and true. Tension is great as just before release. Aim high. Do it right. Stay in the word. Let the Lord build the house. Amen? Amen. Yes. Mm-hmm. and have been missionaries and she had done missionary work in 32 countries around the world and that her child was John Dawson who's more or less head of Wyman nowadays and they've had a couple of sons um, a pastor and David a missionary in Brazil that you met and now David he's got children so that'll be the fourth generation Amen. Contrast to that, my grandfather on my father's side was a town drunk, and my grandmother was the tarot card reader of Indianapolis. My dad was the first one in his family to get a college education. The other kids didn't. Um, Probably my dad was the only one to know Christ towards the latter years of his life. I was the first, my brother and I were the first Christians in our home, and now we're starting, we had generations that didn't know the Lord starting generations that now do. Um, Craig Lindquist, his grandfather was Alan Redpath, the author. We were reading him on Friday mornings. Um, his father was a missionary, MAF missionary, died. His, uh, his grandfather on his, mother, on his dad's side started the mission in 1932 in the Central African Republic in the town of Oboe. 
And, and here Craig is, he, he's, he's lived more of his life in Africa than he lived in the United States. And uh, it, it, the funniest thing is when they're all singing and they're dancing, Craig has no rhythm. He's like... <laughs> he's, he's through and through. <laughs> yeah. So, but the cool thing is they all, they all call... He's a Ugandan as far as they're concerned. They just love him. Generations. Generations. His boys, man. Whoever get, whatever girls get those boys. They're good looking and they just love Jesus. One's at Cal Poly and he's single. Talk to me later, girls. Anyone? Other questions before we pray? Great input. Thank you. San Luis Obispo. Yeah. I'm telling you, this kid's a catch. The other two boys, Nathaniel and Jonathan. Sweet, sweet. Alex. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've given us these arrows, and Lord, give us more. Let us be men and women who recognize that you build the house. We don't want to labor in vain, God. I pray that every person that is within the reach of my voice would hear this study and apply it, that the next generation would be straight and true. Thank you, God, for the great privilege of being a parent. Let us not be discouraged, but we have been blessed with a heritage from the Lord. Thank you, God. Let not us grow weary in well-doing, but Lord, let us keep seeking you. Give us wisdom, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys.